Please be aware, if you have children in the room, this sermon will contain mature content. Good morning, everybody. I think with that music right there, you expect James Bond to be on the platform when the lights come back on. So I'm your James Bond today. It totally sounds like spy music to me. (laughs) It does. It does. And that was funnier than y'all laughed. And so just so you know, that was a joke. Yeah. So anyway, it's great to be with you today. And I do, I want to join in with uh, the Outback Steakhouse people and just say thank you so much. It's your giving to heart for the house Uh, that allowed us to give over 5,000 meals to all of our uh, first responders and hospitals and uh, hospital workers all in Gwinnett County. Yes. And even down into Grady Hospital. And just to to give you a little bit of a glimpse, we give and and sometimes you don't get to see the actual face of the people, but I loved what this lady said at Outback. 75% of their business was because you gave uh, during a very, very uh, tumultuous time for them. Yes. So they were able to keep their employees working uh, during the COVID shutdown and all of that kind of thing. And so it's because of your giving, we appreciate it. So thank you so much. I want to encourage you to continue to do so. Here were some stories that I heard actually from that. uh, When people would, there would be doctors who literally were serving on the front lines when the hospitals were full full of COVID patients, uh, just exhausted, tired, concerned, all the things that come with it. And they would walk in and they would see a dinner that had been prepared for them and just brought to them, and it would literally, they would literally break down in tears and cry just over a simple thing like a meal. And so again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your giving. Let's continue to do so so we can continue to bless our community. Also, um, next week, as Pastor Chad mentioned, we will be in Norcross. We will not have services here. We are one church, multiple locations, and in the midst of all the diversity or uh, division and chaos all across our country, we felt that it was important during this season that we come together. Now, I've had this question asked, is this a political rally? No. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not a political rally. There's nothing political about it because we are not, here I saw this uh, post this week, it says, no matter which uh, party holds office, God still holds the world, amen? And that's where our hope is in that. And so, but we felt it important that the body of Christ come together, all of, all of us together, all of our campuses come together to worship and to pray together as we enter into this season uh, of unknown, what it's going to look like. So, but we can unify our hearts based around the kingdom in which we serve and the, king, the one who rules our kingdom. Amen? That was better than you amen. I said amen. <laughs> amen. That's right. So, come join us uh, Next week, you have to register, but it's going to be outside, it's going to be fun, and I've looked ahead at the weather, and I have just as much understanding of the weather as they do, and so I think it's not going to rain, so come on down, and uh, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but we're going to finish this series, so we're looking forward to it today. Before we jump into that, though, I want to welcome our online audience right now, because you might not know, but you can let your family and friends know that every week our 11 a.m. service from this campus is broadcast on Facebook and YouTube. 
So if you want to be able to watch that, watch the 11 o'clock service on Facebook and YouTube. Just go follow Victory Hamilton Mill on either of those platforms. So welcome to all that are joining us online. Yes. Yes. So we're going to be finishing up our series today. And the purpose of having this series, I mean, why in the world would we talk about explicit in church? Well, besides trying to make a few of us blush now and then, the whole goal is actually to help return us and to understand God's original design for sex. Because as we heard in Pastor Johnson's very first message, the things that we see today, abuse and shame and dysfunction, it was not that way from the beginning. God's designs for sex was good. It was for our pleasure and for the purpose of multiplication, obviously. But it was to be blessed. It was to be intimate with God and with one another. It was a good thing. And so the purpose of this series is to be able to help us to receive and realign with God's purpose in that way. Today we're going to be talking about sexual healing. And today our goal and our prayer coming in is that everything that we carry in that may involve shame or pain or dysfunction or guilt or anything like that, that by the end today we don't have to walk out with a lot of that stuff. We can lay it right here at the altar. We can learn how the Lord has provided for those things for us. And we can go out different than we, can, can come, than we came in. And so that's what we're praying for, for today. That's exactly right. Now, last week we ended our service with the question, why is sexual sin different than others? And uh, we're going to dive into some of that today with a little bit deeper answer. But let's take a look at three areas when we talk about healing that we need to be healed in. And the first one is ties, the different kind of ties that come from uh, connecting through sexual acts um, before marriage, uh, obviously, the, those types of ties are ones that bind us to someone else and to something else. And uh, God wants to set us free so that there is no condemnation, no guilt, no shame uh, associated with that. And uh, sex is not body to body, but it's spirit, soul, and body with another spirit, soul, and body. So it's not just two people, earthly bodies coming together. There's so much more that's taking place in this act of sex, and sex was designed to create a deep and lasting connection between a man and a woman, and also a bond between this man and this woman. And so let's take a look at what God said from the very beginning. That's the way we started this series was we wanted to go all the way back and just see what did you mean from the very beginning, God, because we have totally screwed this up uh, up to this point. So how did you actually, what was your original design? And here's what he says in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 24, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. One flesh, not just one body, but they become one flesh. God's design was that we come together spiritually, that we come together emotionally, and we come together uh, uh, physically. And when we come together like that, that's like a super glue bond that bonds us together. It, it connects us whether we're in the same, uh, next to each other or we're not. We can be far, far away from each other, but we can still feel each other. We can still know the presence of our, of, of our spouses uh, just because there's been this super glued bond that has not only happened physically, but it's happened emotionally, it's happened spiritually, and it, and it bonds us together as one. It also creates this design that God intended to be good wasn't something that, that he intended to bring shame or any kind of other feelings associated with it. He says that this is good. Turn to your neighbor, turn to your spouse and say, it is good. I heard some chuckles it's in good. the room. It's good, isn't it's it? Good. Yeah, it's good. 
Uh, yeah, so it is good. But so let's talk about what happens when, when this type of relationship takes place. Outside of this covenant of marriage, there's these ties that bind us together. And I want you to hear those words. They're ties that bind us. They're not ties that bond us. They're ties that bind us uh, together with, with another person, and it's called a soul tie. So here's the definition of a soul tie. A soul tie is an unseen bond that ties us to a relationship. It's a tie where we have bonded, attached, and become connected with someone else. Where we have come together and we've come connected with someone else. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. He says, aren't you aware of the fact that when anyone sleeps with a prostitute, he becomes a part of her and she becomes a part of him? For it has been... Uh, declared the two become a single body but the one who joins himself to the Lord is mingled into one spirit with him this is why you must run away from sexual immorality you must run away from sexual immorality for every other sin a person commits is external to the body but immorality involves sinning against your own body everything else that we do is external from our body, but when we have sexual immorality or sexual sin in our life, it's sinning against our own body, our own physical bodies. We feel these things and we carry them uh, for years and sometimes, sometimes decades. And some of us in this room, they're things you've been carrying for decades and decades. And I just wanted you to know that today, God wants to set you free from the bondage of that. He wants to set you free from the burden of it. He wants to set you free from the pain of it. He wants to set you free in a way that you can experience the fullness and live in an open-hearted way before others and before God. And so I know that God is doing something in our hearts today, but we carry this. When we come into sexual, when we have sexual uh, acts with one another, we carry this bond with us. And it doesn't stop when we're apart from one another. Here's what, it's, here's what uh, we're going to look at today. Until that bond or till that soul tie is healed, uh, your past is still in your present. Your past is still in your present. You're going, no, I don't see those people. I don't talk to those people. I don't this or that or the other. But you remember them. You, you, you have these memories that pop up, these things that pop up, these, thing, these feelings that pop up. And you're going, I don't want these anymore. Well, we're going we're gonna to pray and ask God to break this so that those things don't haunt you or, or trouble you or, or come along uh, and try to steal your heart's affection. You understand that when we come together, there's always this um, uh, desire, not desire, but this fear of sexually transmitted diseases. Nobody wants a sexually transmitted disease. But here's one of the things that we don't necessarily that doesn't destroy our physical bodies, but it can destroy our heart, and they are sexually transmitted emotions. When we come together, it's not just an act of pleasure and an act of connection. Our emotions are, are connected, and there are things that we feel in our emotions that, uh, when, when, during the act and after the act. And that if we do this outside of the bonds of marriage, there are things that happen, the emotions that we feel outside of the very act are, are feelings like this, emotions of rejection, shame, anger, depression, devaluing of self, hurt, feelings of abandonment, disconnected from God and others, and so on and so on. Those aren't, those aren't emotions that God has designed us to carry in our hearts. And I remember one time, Sherry and I, we were 
probably about 15 or 20 years ago, we, it's a long time ago, uh, we were actually counseling somebody in our office, and they were, they were a couple who invited other people into their sexual relationship. They're married, but they both invited other men and women into their relationship. This wasn't something that the wife wanted, but it was something that the husband wanted. And we were dealing with this situation, uh, and it was incredibly dysfunctional. And so as we're sitting there, this woman, who, who later became a good friend of ours, um, she was, her body was, she was down to hardly any weight. She had lost all this weight. She looked terrible. Not that she was not an attractive person. She just looked terrible. The, the countenance, the spirit that was on her uh, was just weighty and heavy. And all of these STEs were all over her. But I remember her looking at me and, and at one point and she goes, it's just sex. What's the big deal? And I thought to myself, well, it wasn't a big, if it wasn't a big deal, then why are you here? I've never had anybody come in who has a sexual relationship inside of marriage that's healthy and functioning the way God designed it that ever come into our office for counseling. Why? Because they're fulfilled. They're, God is in the midst of this relationship. But when it becomes this sexually transmitted emotions and outside of the covenant of marriage, and, and in this case, they were married, but I'm bringing other people in, there's all these feelings, there's all these emotions. And she was trying to just dismiss it as an act, not knowing that every time she got together with someone else, she was bonding, connecting, tying herself, spirit, soul, and body uh, in those relationships. See, the soul tie between two people doesn't end just when there's physical separation because it's not just a physical tie, it's a spiritual tie. Right. And as Randy mentioned a minute ago, it's like a form of superglue. So why would God want that inside a marriage? And we can't, here's the thing, we can choose our choices, but we can't choose our consequences. It's impossible for you to be sexually active with someone and not have a tie that is formed. They go together. You can't choose that. But inside a marriage, whenever we come together and that superglue happens, it bonds us to one another. And here's what the word says. When what God has joined together, let no one separate. It wasn't meant to come back apart. But when we come together and we come apart, we come together and come apart. How many of you have ever had an incident with superglue besides me? Yeah, it hurts and it rips and it tears and it sticks. See, it wasn't meant to go together apart, together apart, together apart. It was meant to come together and stay together. So we do have those soul ties, the effects of the coming together and apart and that tearing. But then also maybe some of us, you married the person and you were involved with each other before you got married. Well, isn't that what was supposed to be happening? Well, what God has joined together. It wasn't joined together by God in the first place. There was an unholy tie before you became married. And so there still has to be a cleansing and a repentance and a breaking of the connection that you made with one another and the presence of another spirit, which was not the Holy Spirit, in order that you can remedy and repair that foundation and rebuild on a pure foundation. But here's the great thing about our friend and about all of us. Jesus provided for this before any of us were ever born. Yes. It was never his will that we would experience the pain of these soul ties, but yet he saw what would come because of the evil in the world and his blood was shed so that we can be purified, and it says that we can be made white as snow. We can be purified back to where it's as if in the spirit it did not happen. 
So we are going to be praying later on in order to break these soul ties, in order that it would be in the spirit as if it never happened, and we can go forward in God's plan. So I have a question for you, because you just said, even if you uh, are having sexual activity before you're married, and you end up marrying the person, why, what's the difference, and why does it matter? As we mentioned last week, sex always involves three parties. There's a man, a woman, and, the pre- and a spiritual presence, the presence of God is what it was designed to be, the blessing and the presence of God that would join together permanently. But anytime we're engaged with one another and not in the presence of God, which is what's happening, anytime we're outside of his boundaries, well, then that third spirit is not the Lord, but it is the enemy. Hmm. And the foundation and the seeds that we sow, if you will, (laughs) we talk about sowing our seeds, we reap them. We reap them. So we don't have one book of our life before marriage and another book of our life after. It's one big book with separate chapters, and so we bring it with us. And so for some of us, the things that we're experiencing, even the struggle connecting to our spouse, is because there's something unrepented for before God that's still affecting our ability to fully come together with the way that the Lord wanted that to be. And to bond together in a healthy way. Yes. Good. Thank you for answering that. (laughs) Well, thanks for asking. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one thing we're going to pray about at the end. But a second one could be uh, really touchy for a lot of us, and that's trauma. Sexual trauma, unwanted sexual contact, exposure, harassment, or straight-up sexual abuse, but also other forms of abuse and trauma. And why does this come into play? Well, I want to say, first of all, for anyone that has experienced any of those things on any level, I want to say right off the top, just so that you can hear it, that was not God's will for your life. Amen. That was not God's plan for you. We have an enemy that is actively at work to separate us from our heavenly father. And when abuse happens to us, especially sexual abuse, it imparts a deep, dividing sense of shame that makes us afraid to approach the throne of God, afraid to come in his presence. It damages us. It truly does. We can be healed, but it does damage us because it was the enemy at work to damage your relationship with a heavenly father who is crazy about you. Yes. I can't explain all the why this and why not that. I can't explain those things, but I can tell you unequivocally, the Lord is for you. Yes. He wants to bless you. He wants to prosper. He wants to heal you, and he wants you to be free. Amen. So whatever you've been through, You can quiet the voice of the enemy right now that said, that's what God meant for your life. That is not true. But God is a gracious, overcoming, victorious redeemer who can take anything the enemy went for evil, and he will use it for good. So everything we're about to say, we're coming from that foundation that God will turn it for good. But when we experience abuse or trauma or even unwanted exposure of any kind, it speaks something to our person right away. So I have two stories that, of unwanted exposure or uh, discussion in my own life that really affected it, spoke to me, even though it wasn't maybe as traumatic as some other things. But to a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old, it was pretty traumatic. When I was seven years old, I'm walking to and from school, which, by the way, I just want to say, it is possible to walk uphill both ways in the snow. That was my reality growing up in Canada. There was a hill, so I mean, you know, that was true. So I'm trudging along. Were you barefoot? That's the question. Well, I wasn't barefoot, barefoot. but this is real. This is 
my boots leaked. So my mom used to put grocery bags inside of the boot. <laughs> and then when that gets wet, you just kind of slip all the way to school. So I probably looked like I had issues or something. But anyways, yes, I have more sad stories if you want me to share them. But I was walking uphill both ways in the snow in about second grade and just, you know, minding my own business and dragging, dragging my feet to get there. And just right in my path on the side of the road is of something ripped out of a magazine. So I'm a kid. I'm curious. I pick it up. And it is an advertisement for a book for 50 positions, with all 50 being demonstrated in pictures. I'm seven. I don't have a category for what this is or where this goes or what it, all I know is that I am, I can still see those pictures 42 years later. 42 years later. Immediately I felt dirty. Immediately I felt wrong. Immediately I felt like I'd done something. Immediately I felt the shame that came through that porn, which I wasn't looking for. I didn't even know what it was. Immediately, all that's on me. Because I'm going, I, I, I did something bad to even pick this up. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not good. I never told my parents. I wasn't going to tell them about that because I, I felt dirty. I felt shame. I felt wrong. I felt all that. I didn't, I didn't walk through that with anybody because I didn't know what to do with it. I was seven. Fast forward three years later, or four years later, I can add, 11. I was 11. And I play piano, and so I was pretending to practice the piano, meaning I was avoiding practicing the piano. But I was actually sitting at the piano in my bathing suit, because that's what you do when you're 11. And I mean, nothing was forming. I was still pre-puberty, all, all that stuff. Well, this bathing suit that my mom and I had picked out together was a one piece. And on the side, it had little gaps that were at most maybe eighth quarter of an inch wide here and there, like no big deal. Well, my grandmother thought it was a big deal. She's sitting in the room watching me practice the piano and Everything about her is saying disapproval and all kinds of things that I don't understand. Well, later that afternoon, I get a lengthy letter, handwritten letter from my grandmother of every scripture she could find that mentioned harlotry. And she told me about how dirty I was and how it was like all kinds of things. So she wrote out all these scriptures. I didn't know what a harlot was. I'm 11. And I'm certainly not trying to be promiscuous by wearing a bathing suit that my mother chose. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I'm feeling all that dirty. I'm feeling the shame. I'm feeling that I've done something wrong. I've done something bad. I did take that letter to my dad, who was extremely thrilled about it, <laughs> who confronted my grandmother, but no one helped me. I never was given an interpretation, and I was never told something different. So those words and those feelings of shame and dirty and done something wrong <coughs> soaked in. Mm -hmm. They spoke to me, and I carried them for a long time. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing about trauma is trauma speaks to you, and it says stuff to you about you. And uh, if we don't allow God to heal those areas of trauma and we agree with what that trauma speaks to us, we begin to align our lives to what we believe is true. And so because sometimes we can say, well, maybe that's what I was made for. Maybe this, is, maybe this is why I exist, is to be treated this way. And the answer to that is, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the, the, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and to destroy, and he'll do anything he can to, to destroy your heart, mm -hmm. to destroy your belief about you, to destroy your connection with God or, or this relationship with God, and he will speak whatever. And so when it's, it's important that if you've experienced trauma, to not agree with what the trauma has told you about you. Because I guarantee you it's not true. 
there's something that God wants to speak to us that is true about us, that is that brings us to a place of wholeness, that brings us to a place of freedom, that brings us to a place of complete healing in him. And that is available for us. And we're gonna pray over some of those things today. But here's something that was very sobering as well, was uh, the studies show or stats uh, show that 97% of people with sexual addiction suffered emotional abuse in childhood or adolescence. So that means if you are here today and you suffer with some kind of uh, sexual addiction, I just want to tell you, um, first of all, I'm sorry that you're struggling with that, but I'm also sorry because this says that 97% of those who suffer with this sexual addiction have been abused themselves emotionally um, in some type of way growing up. I've had a counselor actually tell me that a lot of what impacts our lives happens to us before we're 12 years old. And some kind of trauma, Sherry just shared two stories before she was 12, that she wrestled with throughout her life for decades because of something that the enemy came to assault her with. And so there's this thing, 97% of those who have sexual addiction suffered some kind of emotional abuse in their childhood or adolescence. 81% of those suffering with sexual addiction suffered some type of sexual abuse towards them. They were abused themselves. And then 72% suffered some type of physical abuse, whether they were uh, physically abused by a parent, uh, another person, uh, whoever it may be. And so those things are really important for us to understand. So if there is some type of thing going on in your life that has some type of sexual uh, connotation to it, and you're going, why do I struggle with this? Why do I struggle with this? I want to encourage you to look back and say, have I ever suffered emotional abuse? I would have never, ever known this in my own life until about in the last five years where I could literally say, growing up, I was emotionally abused. In my home, my home was an emotionally abusive home. Now, I hate that that's the truth, but that is the truth about my household that I grew up in. And for years, I could not even just say it because for years, I didn't want it to be true. I was, I was protecting those who were around me uh, that were actually abusing, going, they would never do that on purpose. They would never say that in an abusive way if they knew it was abusive. But the reality was, whether they knew it or not, it was abusive. And so for us to begin to receive healing, we have to first call a spade a spade. And in order for me to start receiving healing, I had to say, my mom was an emotionally abusive person. Now, did she want to be one? No, she was emotionally abused herself. Never received healing. Never knew that she could walk whole. Never knew those things. And so what did she do? She abused emotionally. Not because she wanted to be an emotional abuser, but because she had never identified it in her own life, called it what it was, and allowed God to heal it. Never happened in her whole life. So we have to say, if we have gone through some type of trauma and we've had some type of abusive behavior in our life, we have to call a spade a spade because that abuse says something to us about us and God wants to say something to you about you that is actually true and abuse always lies. So there's a strong correlation between the history of trauma and abuse and compulsive sex addiction or numbing or pain relief or whatever it is. And here's the thing. We need to be healed of physical and emotional effects of trauma uh, as, as people being a victim to those things. And here's what else comes about. When we've experienced those things, we need healing because uh, we also need healing from judgments and inner vows. 
that go on and keep going afterwards. After this, after this abuse has been experienced, those uh, judgments and intervals continue on. And so let's define those things real quickly. A judgment is a negative decision or conclusion about something or someone interpreting a hurtful experience as a permanent state of the future. Here's an example. When I experienced uh, emotional abuse at home, I would say women are X. Some people would say men are fill in the blank. Children are fill in the blank. Teenagers are fill in the blank. Whatever the, whatever the judgment is. In other words, I have determined, I have come to a conclusion that this is whatever. Those are judgments. And when we have judgments, the next thing that, that happens when we have placed a judgment over a certain situation or people or, or God or whatever the case may be. The, the other judgment could be God wasn't there. God forsook me. God didn't defend me. God doesn't provide for me. Those are judgments. And when we believe those judgments, what happens is we then start making intervals. And an intervow is this. An intervow is a deep pledge to never feel or visit the pain again. A covenant I make with myself. It's a covenant that I make with myself. In other words, the source of the fulfillment of this vow is my self-will. And so I say it, have you ever heard it this way? If you get me once, it's your fault, but if you get me twice, it's mine. You ever heard that statement before or anything like it? So what we're saying is, if you get me once, that's your, that's your fault, but if you get me again, I have not chosen to protect myself. And so I haven't made a covenant with my own will to say, I will. So what I said, I remember as it relates to my mom one day. Uh, we were sitting, standing in the kitchen, and she was frying chicken in a black iron skillet pan. And if you know about fried chicken, that's the way you do it. In a, right? Isn't that right? Otherwise, it's a form of fried chicken. But that's how you actually fry it. <laughs> and so she was frying it, and she was talking to me, and she was going off about my dad. My dad wasn't the greatest provider in the world. And she was hurt, and she was angry about all those things, and she was just going off. Can I just say to you, parents... Your children are not the place you need to vent about your spouse to. Wives, don't talk to your children about your, your challenges with your husband and vice versa. They are not equipped to carry that kind of weight. That's, not, that's something that messes with their mind and they're going, what? But in this moment, my mom is just going off about my dad and she was just going on and on and on. And I remember making this statement. I made a judgment. Women are but da 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 Therefore, I will never, my, my interval was, I will never be dominated by a woman. No woman will ever say of me, you're not a good provider. That impacted our marriage. I made this when I was younger. And I, and I remember carrying that out and carrying that into my marriage. Did I think that about Sherry? No. But one of the things, if you, haven't, if you don't know Sherry and you haven't gotten to know her yet, uh, one of the things about her is Sherry is very strong. I heard that woo. <laughs> and you know what? I love it. It was one of the very things that attracted me to her was her strength, her strength of person, her strength of character, her strength as a human being. I love it, still love it today. But when we first got married, it was great before we got married. Then once we got married, I'm like, can that part of you like sit down over there? Can you? Like that. I, I literally <laughs> called her parents and said, where is the off switch to her? 
That's not a joke. He really did that. I really did. That's, that's for real. I wanted her, why? Because of her strength, but I had made an inner vow. No woman will ever dominate me. So literally, we could be snuggling on the sofa watching TV, and she would throw her leg over me, and I'm like, uh-uh. No, 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 no. That's a dominating position. Move your leg off just in case I need to get up and get out of here. He would say it. Don't, don't dominate me. Don't get dominate leg me. Off. Get your leg off me. I'm going, oh. That literally impacted our marriage. It caused this wall to be between us. Why? Not because of something she had done, but because of the judgment I had made in an inner vow that I had made that impacted our relationship. And so this is what happens. It leads to all these types of things. Many of you have areas, and if you're married and you've been married for a while and you're going, why can't I get past? There's this desire to get close. There's this desire to feel open-hearted with my spouse, but there's always just a little something there. Maybe you have to examine, have I made a judgment? Have I made an inner vow? Have I said, I will never what? Or all women are, or all men are, or whatever the case may be. So why is this destructive? I mean, even his inner vow to say, no woman will ever say that I didn't provide for them. Why isn't that a good thing? Well, because it actually follows the path of the enemy. Yes. When we look at Isaiah 14, 13 through 14, it describes how Lucifer fell from heaven. He makes a series of I will statements. And basically what he does is he turns away from God and towards himself as the source of fulfilling whatever. And so it becomes a self-sufficient, self-fulfilling, I will do this myself. I will do that myself. So when we make an inner vow, what we're doing, remember he said earlier, it's a pledge or a covenant with myself, which means that I am looking to myself to fulfill it. And I am therefore blocking anyone else that should be doing that for me, which is the Lord himself. So a judgment and an inner vow then blocks us from the very thing that we need to become free and to fulfill the very thing that we long for. So in our marriage, it took a while for Randy to be able to see that this inner vow of I will provide affected me, but it also very much affected his walk with the Lord and the way that he saw God because he was like, I gotta do that myself when the Lord himself was wanting to pour out on us and we couldn't receive it because we were blocked up. So this is generally, this is an, a little bit of an oversimplification, but it's how this cycle works if unhealed trauma or abuse of any kind stays. What happens is that pain of the trauma speaks to us. And depending on the depth of the trauma, it can speak incredibly loudly, overriding every other voice. But it speaks to us about God, about ourselves, and about others, about how the world works, about how, uh, uh, any number of things. Well, then based on that hurt, we make an assessment or a judgment of this is, this is what things are about. This is how things will be. And we make an assessment that we then set into place, such as all men are, our women are. Or, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just meant to be rejected. Uh, everywhere I go, I'm rejected. So we allow the story of our life to speak identity over us or to speak something over us that then we become stuck to. But then we form an inner vow covenanting with ourselves to protect ourselves from the pain of that judgment. So if I'm just meant to be abused, if that's what I come to believe, or in my case, I'm just, I'm just dirty, you know, there's something shameful or wrong about me, well, then I'm going to make sure that I do everything right all the time because nobody's going to say about me that, I, that I'm dirty or that I'm wrong. I'm going to prove that I'm valuable by working really hard 
And then we begin to live out of that place instead of allowing the Lord to touch it. And in so doing, I bind myself up and I block myself from the Lord who is the only one who can heal the pain, the damage, the emotion, the physical trauma, everything that was spoken over me, only the Lord can heal that. Now we are, and the beautiful thing is that he can and he does. And for some of you, we're, we're gonna be praying over this at the end, but for some of you, the nature of your trauma is deep. And so we wanna encourage you in a couple of things. You might need help with a therapist. There's no shame in that. <laughs> because it's people to walk with you towards healing, towards recovery, towards health. It's incredibly courageous to say, I want and I need help. And secondly, we also have a ministry forward ministry that you can connect to. If you go to explicitseries.com, there's a link for it as well in where you can also go further through some of the things that we're talking about today. So we're not, just wanna make sure that for some of you that have been through really tough things, it isn't like just one prayer and we're done. But things can be broken in the spirit and a journey launched for your healing. And we yes. want to encourage you to take those next steps. Another resource we have is you can text the word HEAL, H-E-A-L, to 203040. And that'll lead you to, uh, there'll be a link that'll lead you to some um, resources that can help you in this process as well. But here's the thing that I want us all, and we want us all to really get in our hearts. Here's something that we need deep in our heart is this, to know that God wants us to bring all of our traumas, all of our soul ties, all of our judgments, and all of our inner vows to him, to the cross, and allow his work to bring healing to those areas. So that is something that the Lord wants for us so we can have that place of being made healthy, being made whole, and being, and being completely healed in these areas of all sexual uh, places of misstep or abuse or any kind of ties that have been made, there can be wholeness brought to those areas. And so there's one more thing. So we've talked about ties, we've talked about uh, trauma, and now we're talking about thrones. So as we talk, when we, when we think about an inner vow, and we make an inner vow and a covenant with ourselves, what we do in that time is we take the throne of Jesus, we take Jesus off the throne of our heart and we put him to the side and we put ourselves on the throne or we put something else on the throne and it begins to rule those areas of our heart and our lives. And so uh, God wants us to not replace him with the, the things on the throne of our heart. He wants us to remove the things that we would later call idols off the throne of our heart and allow God to sit on that throne. There's a place in Romans chapter one that talks about sexual immorality leads to idolatry. It leads to this place of, of, of taking God off the throne and putting ourselves on the throne in some way, form, or fashion. This is where self-willed Christianity comes into play and God has never called us to self-willed Christianity. In fact, God calls us day in and day out to lay ourselves down and pick him up. Pick up the cross. And when we pick up the cross, oftentimes we think that's moments where we're just sacrificing everything. And that may be true, but we're also picking up the healing. We're also picking up the freedom. We're also picking up the redemption that was what was born on the cross for our good. And so these thrones are places where we have to give attention to. Romans chapter seven, Paul is speaking of this battle in our lives. He says, for we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm. But I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. I am a mystery to myself for I want to do what is right, but I end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. 
How many of you have ever felt that way? I am a mystery to myself. I want to do what's right, but I have struggled with doing what's right. And I find myself doing things that are wrong over and over and over and over again. And I hate that. Cannot stand that. Don't even understand that. Paul is speaking of that there in Romans chapter 7. So why does this happen? Because there's something that else is sitting on the throne of our heart. There's someone else. There's something else that's governing and ruling that area of our lives. And it's not that self-will and self-power can overcome that. Only those things can come, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord can we overcome these types of temptations, these types of activities in our lives. And so what it does when we remove God from the throne is it enslaves us to the thing. It enslaves us to the thing that we have made a covenant with our own will with. That's what it enslaves us to. It could enslave us to ourselves. It could enslave us to someone else or something else. But God wants to sit on the throne of our heart. That's right. So anytime we find like these repeated patterns in our lives, we're just as Paul described that I'm, I don't do what I want to do, but I do something else. We have to start and interrogate ourselves in those things. Why, why am I doing that? Well, we've probably asked ourselves that a million times. But to ask deeper questions in terms of what, what am I trying to achieve? What do I believe that achievement will gain me with other people? Why, what pain am I trying to, like, allow the questions to go deeper? Because at the bottom of those things, we're probably going to find something in this acronym. We all have legitimate, deep needs that were, are formed into us that were divinely created to be met by God himself. But any of these things, we can put them up on the screen, any of these things, they're all good things, right? But if any of them, if we seek to fulfill any of them through any other source but God himself, they will become an idol in our lives and we will become enslaved to that very thing. So for me, it was value. I wanted desperately to know I was valued. And so at one point, why would I go way past my own boundaries at one point? Well, because I had that, those voices are speaking to me about identity. And I'm saying, I've got to be valued. I've got to be valued. I've got to be valued. And then here I am way on the other side of a behavior I never thought I would do. Well, that wasn't just because I decided one day I'm just going to turn away from everything I believe. No, it was because of gradual erosion of my heart. And our idols are very defensive. So some things that you can look for just in terms of, Lord, help me understand what is under this, is to look for patterns. Where are you driven and you can't slow down? What is it that nobody can talk to you about because you become defensive or you justify your behavior? What are things that instantly make you anxious or angry? There's some questions that like, where is something just kind of like different than everything else? What are the questions underneath of that? What's on the, I, the throne of our heart that needs to be uh, uh, fulfilled by God himself, security, love, acceptance, value, enjoyment, significance. The reason it's not on the throne is because at the core, we don't believe that God will do that for us. We don't believe he's enough for us. We don't believe he'll come through for us or some form of that question. So whatever's on the throne is likely there because there's something about God's nature that we just don't believe because his nature provides everything we could ever need. That's the truth of the word. But if I don't believe it and I don't receive it, then I have to replace it with something else. Scripture warns us and encourages us here in Hebrews 3.12. So search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. 
When we allow unbelief or those idols to remain enthroned, we will end up in places we never dreamt we'd go. So we need the Holy Spirit to come and convict our hearts and show us those things so that we can repent and be healed. Amen. Here's the thing about idols. Idols are liars. Idols come and lie to you. And actually what happens, the more we let idolatry take root in our heart, and so many times we've dismissed idolatry as, as we don't build golden statues and bow down to them. We don't, we don't build these things that we actually come up to and physically worship. But idols are anything that has taken the place of God in our heart and in our life. And oftentimes it is done by self-will. And what God wants to do is to, to remove those things. But here's the thing about an idol. An idol is insatiable. It is never satisfied. Its hunger is insatiable. So the more you feed an idol, the more you have to feed the idol. The more you feed an idol, the further down the road you go. That's why Pastor Johnson was saying at the very beginning of this series, when we, when we have this idol and it ends up creating sexual immorality in our lives, what ends up happening is the, the need for intensity increases over and over and over again till we're so far down the road and we're so down in the rabbit hole of deception that we can't see anymore and what is clearly black and white wrong in our lives seems right to us. An example of that would be, I love this person so much and we're gonna get married one day so we might as well go ahead and start living together. That seems right. That seems logical. As we go down this pathway of where we're going and we can save money and all this kind of stuff together and it begins, we just start down this rabbit hole of deception. Here's the problem with deception. You're deceived. That's the only real problem with it is we're deceived. What seems right in our eyes? We said it last week. There's a way that seems right in the, in the eyes of a man but it leads to death. The ways of God always lead to life. They don't lead to deception. They lead to clear-eyed vision for us to see clearly. Always. But the enemy wants us to enthrone idols on our heart so that he can deceive us and lead us down this path of destruction. Romans 7, verse 18, we read just a moment ago and a few verses earlier. But it says this, For I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. And I think that's something we all have to really embrace is that nothing good lives inside of this flesh. And one of the things that we have said in the church is you can't trust your heart, but you have to trust your heart because we enthrone God, on the, we enthrone God into the throne of our heart. What we can't trust is our flesh. And our flesh and our heart are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Our heart is where God lives. It's where he resides it's where he rules and governs our, heart, our lives. Our flesh is where all the temptation comes. It's where all the stuff comes. And the enemy wants us to live according to the flesh. Galatians chapter five says the fruit of the, the, fruit of the flesh, not the fruit of the heart, the fruit of the flesh. It's all of these things. Sexual immorality, anger, all these different things. But the fruit of the spirit, when God is sitting on the throne of our heart, is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control that's the fruit how do you know what's sitting on the throne of your heart judge the fruit of it what's the fruit of it God says I want to come and be your source I want to sit on the throne of your heart and I will help you overcome the attacks of the flesh by the spirit of the living God there are many of us here today you need to know the good news is this 
you can overcome anything that has happened in your life. Not by willpower. Not by just choosing to will your way. I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to push myself through. But by saying, God, I repent. I repent of connecting myself to something as a source of comfort, as a source of love, as a source of significance. I repent for creating a soul tie, God, that is with anything besides you, God. You are the one that I need to bond to. I repent, God, for creating all these soul ties to try to satisfy the thing that is very true needs in my heart in any other way than the way you have designed. And it's affected my marriage. It's affected my marriage for decades. Not just a few months, but for decades. But it doesn't have to anymore. It doesn't have to affect those who are newly married anymore. Every soul tie, every trauma, for those who have, who have experienced trauma, I want to say this to you. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. You are valuable. You are worthy of love. You are significant. You are, you are a person made in the image of God and you were abused by the enemy and by another person. And I'm sorry for that. It was the work of the enemy to destroy your life. John 10, 10, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life even in the most broken areas of our life. That's the good news. Today, we're going to pray through some of these areas. And as we do, I want you to pray with that understanding. God, if there's anything on the throne of my heart that's not you, I repent of that and I remove that from the throne of my heart. And Lord, you rule the throne of my heart. You sit on the throne of my heart. And you govern my life. And I submit to you. Because your ways are good. And when it comes to sexual fulfillment, your ways are good, God. That is, that you have made a way for that to happen in a way that it brings no shame, brings no guilt, brings no condemnation, brings no regret. But it brings bondedness and connectedness and love. You've made a way. We're going to pray through soul ties. When we pray, when we get to this moment, we're going to actually ask you to name the soul tie. The soul tie would be the person. The person that you may have been sexually active with outside of marriage. We're going to pray over that. And this is not going to be the one once and done prayer. This is, for some of us, there's one person. For some of us, there are many people. I had a friend tell me one time, he had a page a yellow notebook page full of names, rows of names. He had, to, he had to break every single one of those, and you will as well. And so when we pray over these, the, the prayers are going to be up on the screen. I want you to snap a picture of the prayer for your phone so that when you're in your quiet time and you're alone and you are, it's just you and God, you can pray. and You can break every soul tie with every single person that you've made a soul tie with. There's healing for then we're going to pray over inner, inner vows and judgments. And we're going to name the judgments. We're going to name the inner vows. All women are, all men are, all this, 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 and this are whatever we have judged it to be. And therefore, we made a vow to protect ourselves. We made a covenant with ourselves. We're going to break that covenant. We're going to break those judgments. And we're going to renew our covenant with God. To say that, Lord, you are the one. 
and then we're going to pray over ourselves. So as we do this, I want you just to bow your head. First of all, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you. When we pray over these intervals and our soul ties in just a moment, I want you to think of one person that might come to mind. That one person, that one situation, that one circumstance. I want you to pray over that one today. And then snap a picture of these prayers. And then pray over the rest of them the rest of this week. So Father, I ask you right now that you would come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way in my heart today? Would you just say that out loud with me? Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way in my heart today? Would you heal me? Would you lead me into truth? And would you totally set me free? In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pray over the thrones of our heart. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. You can take a picture when it'll pop up here in just a moment. Father, I confess I have turned to other things instead of you for security, love, acceptance, value, enjoyment, and significance. That is a sin and that is idolatry. Right now, I remove whatever that thing is. Just say it out loud. I remove whatever that thing is off the throne of my life. And I receive Jesus as the only one who sits on that throne as king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now ask the Holy Spirit just to bring someone to your mind with whom you have a soul tie, that he is ready and wanting you to break that this morning. Now if you would, look up at the screen and we'll pray this together. You can just pray it quietly right where you are, but actually say it out loud. Father, I confess I have engaged in a wrong sexual or emotional connection with this person. I confess this as sin and ask you to forgive me. Lord, I forgive them for any wrong they have done to me. I reject the connection that was formed and ask you, Heavenly Father, to break any connection that was formed. Restore to me any part of me that I've lost and remove from me anything remaining from this connection. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray over inner, inner vows and judgments and name them as we go through. Jesus, I recognize the judgments I have made and name it. These judgments were made based on my life experience versus your truth. I repent and turn from those judgments. From those judgments I recognize I also made inner vows. Jesus, I repent of the inner vow of whatever that is. I don't want to see life through, that, through this vow any longer, but through the truth of God. I surrender that inner vow to you, and I ask for your forgiveness. With a grateful heart, I receive your forgiveness, and I receive your promises over my life. As I have surrendered uh, these inner vows and judgments to you, please show me your better truth. So ask God right now, just reveal truth to me. Holy Spirit, reveal the truth to me. In Jesus' name, amen. We have one more prayer, but would you stand with me for this one? And let's lift our hands up to the Lord in both a position of surrender and to receive. We're gonna pray over self because the things that we're praying right now have power. They're not just words on a page or something we're reciting. There's something happening in the spirit. And so this is both a step forward to say, I declare this and I receive this. So let's pray this together. 
Lord, thank you for cleansing me of all these connections, idols, judgments, and vows. I reject these unrighteous uses of my body and emotions and choose now to present my whole mind, will, emotions, and body to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. I choose to reserve the sexual use of my body for marriage only and to give my most intimate emotions to you and my spouse only. I reject the lie that my body is dirt, dirty, unclean, or in any way unacceptable to you as a result of my past experiences. I choose now to accept myself, my body, and my mind as clean because you have made me spotless. Lord, I thank you for cleansing my mind from sinful memories as you restore my soul to wholeness and holiness through your grace. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. lift our hands all over this room we're going to worship the Lord right now I believe God has done some work in our hearts and wherever he has done work we're going to ask him to come and fill that place with all the places of shame and regret and all of that we're going to ask him to come fill it with gratitude with thanksgiving with worship to him so father we thank you in the name of Jesus Lord we thank you God for your work in our heart we thank you for the work in our lives God we thank you for healing us for cleansing us for purifying us God, we thank you that you came to make us whole and we stand together today in your presence, whole, redeemed, restored, renewed. Uh, we thank you, God, for your work in our lives, Lord. We begin to speak out the words of thanksgiving to him right now. Just begin to lift your voice in thanksgiving. We thank you, God. We honor you, God. We bless your name, God. We thank you, Jesus, for your work. Lord, would you continue that work in our heart and our lives? And Lord, would you allow that work to go deep inside of us? That that work would take root inside of our heart and that it would grow to full maturity in our lives in every single way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's lift our voice and worship to him today.